Vox Quick Hits. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everyone, Emily here. Today we're sharing an episode of another Vox podcast called Recode Daily. I was actually a guest on this podcast last week to talk about the internet. Who has it? who doesn't, and what not having it means for your life. We'll be back on Thursday with a new episode of Tell Me More. Think about everything you did yesterday. Now imagine how that day would have gone if you didn't have access to the internet. You wouldn't have been able to work from home or pay your bills or talk to your friends in the way we're accustomed to. All this is to say, access to the internet has become very important. Yet access to the internet isn't as universal as you might think. Millions of Americans don't have broadband access, either because of where they live or what they can afford. But there's another big, more insidious factor, politics. Here to talk about the internet is Emily Stewart, senior reporter at Vox. Hi, Emily. Hi, Ronnie. How many people in the U.S. don't have access to the Internet? So this is actually a surprisingly hard question to answer. The FCC says that they think it's around 20 million people. So that's about 7% of the population. You can kind of think of the size of the population of New York State or uh, Florida. But some groups say that it's much higher, maybe even double the amount. It's a lot of people. So it might be New York and Florida don't have the Internet. Might be New York and Florida, which is big. So before we get into how politics are involved here, I think it's important to talk about some of the bigger factors in Internet access. And those two biggest ones are geography and income. Can you explain why geography and income affect whether people have Internet or not? Yeah, so I think the way that I think about this is sort of in that Broadband internet is an access problem, but it's also an affordability problem. So we talk a lot about the access problem, which is sort of the geography part here, right? Sorry, the U.S. is a very, very big country, and how do you get internet to everybody? Right, which is why there are a gazillion congressional hearings on rural broadband, right? Like, everybody has heard about this, because there are just, as you said, the U.S. is a big country, there are mountains in the middle, all sorts of (laughs) challenges to getting people the internet. Part two here is the one that we don't talk about, which is the affordability problem. So basically, even if an internet line runs by my house, if I don't have $60 to pay for that, I don't have access to the internet. So it really is a two-part problem. So even if you're in an urban area that has plenty of you know, wires going through the ground, you might still not have access to internet, even if everyone around you has it, because it is just too damn expensive. Exactly. So how did we get here? What's what's the history behind why it's so hard to get so many people the internet? Well, there are a lot of kind of contributing factors here. One thing that I like to think about is that if it were lucrative for everyone to have the internet, 
everybody would have the internet, or at least more people would. It's really expensive to get internet to some parts of the country, right? If you live in the middle of nowhere, it's going to cost some money to get a line out to your house. And we have a lot of big companies that run the internet business <laughs> that it's not lucrative for them to build that line out to your house. You can kind of think about it like the mail in a way. So the way that we set up the mail is that if I send a letter to Alaska, it's going to be a lot more expensive than if I send a letter to Washington, D.C. But we have decided mm-hmm. that the mail should all be the same price. But we sort of haven't decided that about the internet. You know, some of it is, again, like you said, we have a very big country. And once one line goes down, you know, nobody else is going to build kind of a second line out to wherever. And the industry doesn't want a lot of government intervention. Like, you might think it would be a good idea to say the internet is utility or to have more local projects. But there's been a lot of consolidation in the industry. You know, telecom companies and cable companies don't want competition from other companies or from the government. And so, you know, they don't like to say this. But part of the problem is that companies kind of don't want everybody to have the internet but they also don't want to build it themselves when it's not a money maker. So, th- so there's two things here. It's it's not considered like electric or water or the mail. It's not like a utility. It's not considered a utility. And then there's also this monopoly situation because it's so expensive and because they don't really want competition there are there's not really a lot of options to choose from. Right, exactly. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I mean like you and I live in New York City or at least most of the time we live in New York City and and like I only have one internet provider, you only have one internet provider. Like the monopolization is is here. Right. In the in the middle of the densest part of Brooklyn, I only have the option to pay a lot of money to Optimum. Exactly. Same. Okay, so I was looking at this new Pew report, and it said that just 57% of Americans who make under $30,000 a year that would be considered low-income Americans had access to broadband. What does that mean for the lives of those people? In the past year, we've seen how devastating this is. So much of our lives have really gone online, whether it be school, whether it be accessing government services, whether it be you know, work or, in some people's cases, applying for jobs. It's all online or talking to your family. It's really devastating for people, and it really locks you out of certain parts of the economy and certain parts of American life. Like If you need to access unemployment, That's online. That's hard. Another interesting thing about the report to me was, you know, most people said that the reason why they didn't have broadband was because it was so expensive. But a lot of other people said that they could do everything they wanted to do on their smartphones. I don't actually think that's the case, though. You know, people, you can do a lot of stuff on your smartphone, but like if you start... I don't know, trying to do open up a bunch of tabs for work or God forbid you do some sort of coding or anything like that for work. It's really hard. I know if I go to my bank's website and I try to download checks, it's like you have to go to, you know, use a desktop computer. There's a lot of situations where you actually have to use a computer to get like the same robustness of um, the website. And then like, you know, smartphones have data caps. They're not that fast and you don't get that much data. So I kind of I thought that was, you know, admirable that people were like, yeah, we could do a lot on smartphones. But I I think 
you know, they're not considering the limits to that. Right. And I will say, and I think this has changed now, but last year when I was reporting on this, I talked to a bunch of librarians for some reason about this internet story that I worked on. It was a very good story. (laughs) But one thing that they said, you know, a lot of people kind of in normal times to do those more complicated things would go to the library to use their computers. But what happens during the pandemic is is the library closes down. So is the internet cafe if you have one. And so, you know, there again, we see sort of the limits of, of what you can do on your phone. Right. So all these people were even further locked out of like the global economy. Right. So let's talk about my least favorite thing, which is politics. How is that affecting broadband access in America? Some local municipalities or cities have tried to kind of undertake their own broadband projects, which we kind of think would be a good idea. And a lot of experts in the area think would be a good idea because... You know, a town or a city um, like a Chattanooga, Tennessee, which has done a really good job at this, has, has an interest in its all of its citizens having access to the Internet in a way that like Comcast does not. That being said, more than 20 states actually have laws that ban or put up pretty big roadblocks to municipal broadband projects. And that's basically the result of lobbying. The big telecom companies try really hard at the state level to try and block these sorts of projects from ever kind of being born. <laughs> We're not sure if it's going to work, but you're definitely not allowed to do it. So you can't even try. Right, exactly. And like if you look at Chattanooga, which I mentioned, which is kind of the golden example a lot of people hold up as a city that did do its own internet project, high-speed internet, after they did that, the state put in place laws saying that they couldn't expand their network. So like if I live in the town, that's cool. I can use their internet, but they can't offer it to, let's say, a student who lives in the country or a family who lives in the country. Like this is actually pretty pernicious what's going on here. So this was actually an example of it totally working, but then lobbyists made it so that they couldn't actually do this elsewhere. Is that right? Right. Or they couldn't do it for people in the country. So basically, like, if you live within the city limits, you can use the system, like the municipal broadband that they have there. But if you live a little bit outside, even if that could reach you, uh, the state law is that actually you can't access it. Why? Why, why did they do that? Lobbying. <laughs> like, literally, that's it. So lobbying on behalf of the, t- of the internet companies who did not want this to be the case. They didn't want people to have their own, like, government internet. Right, right. And, like, I remember talking to, like, former lawmakers there last year who were, like, it was literally just the telecom companies found a way to kind of stop this stuff from happening. As I said, there are more than 20 states where there are laws like this in place. Um, mm-hmm. You know, telecom companies don't want to have to compete with the government. And I do think more broadly, we always have this issue of monopolization, right? And in a way, broadband internet is a natural monopoly because it's expensive to build out all of these lines across the country. But they also spend a lot of time and money to make sure nobody can compete with them. Okay, so we have a situation that was already pretty inequitable. You know, millions of Americans didn't have access to broadband. Then we had the pandemic where broadband became so, so important if you wanted to do basically anything, you know, work or go to school. We couldn't talk to our friends uh, or have entertainment or anything like that. All of the things that we used to do in person. Um, what is the fix to this? Fix broadband for me, Emily Stewart. <laughs> sure. 
I have the fix. I'll give everybody the internet. Try unplugging it and plugging it back in. Basically. I mean, there are a lot of different ideas out here about what a solution would look like. Elizabeth Warren campaigned on the idea of a public option for the internet. So basically, we know about a public option in healthcare and insurance, which would mean like you have an option to buy some insurance plan from the government. Like this would be, you know, a cheaper, decent option for internet. Bernie Sanders said he wanted to turn it into a public utility. You know, some people, including people in the industry, say that you just have to get wireless and faster 5G networks. How likely that is, who knows? And on the affordability side, we have Hmm. seen a little bit in the pandemic response, um, some subsidies going out for people. So Congress has put in place a subsidy that's $50 for households, like most households, and then $75 for households on tribal lands to try and help them pay for the internet. Like, there is a world where we could be doing things like this full time. And I do think also a lot of the experts I talked to about this said it's really important for kind of local communities to get involved and local politicians because, you know, ultimately, like the president of the United States is not really going to give everybody Internet. (laughs) They're just got other stuff to do. But I think the more and more like local communities start to understand how important it is and understand how to make this happen because like they can see what's happening on the ground the better, hopefully, the system becomes. But it really is something that needs to change on all levels, hopefully, because as we know, it's really devastating to not be able to go online for even basic life tasks. Emily Stewart, thanks so much for joining me and explaining the internet. Thank you for having me. 